the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, We have a wonderful show. I have to tell you, I pre-recorded a couple of interviews um, today because of my schedule. So I already know we have two great interviews uh, with a gentleman named Tony Lyons, who's been on the show uh, a couple of times as well as um, Madeline Melissa. Madeline Melissa is a um, journal, excuse me, a fellow over at the, um, at the, uh, um, the accountability uh, in government uh, foundation and uh, really good. And she's got a segment um, that we've talked to her about, uh, about the, um, about the rank choice voting and how dumb it is. Okay. So we're going to talk with her and it'll be great. And you're going to like that. And then I mentioned Tony Lyons, who has a great story about uh, what is happening uh, with uh, Anthony Fauci and what is happening with the uh, publishing of a book by Robert Kennedy on Fauci and why Fauci's quitting. You're going to like that interview. So first, uh, what you need to know today is today is a funny day. Um, I, we mark the death of the um, fairly, I mean, the extraordinary uh, queen of uh, England who has lived for 96 years, but who was on the um, throne for fully uh, 70 of those years. I mean, it's extraordinary to think about, you know, just a few days ago, we celebrated these, uh, the sixth anniversary of the late Phyllis Schlafly's death. She was 92 when she died. And when she died, We had a lot of looking back and she had had about 70 years in public life. She died at 92. She had been active in politics in many, many ways from the time she was about 21 or 22 um, at all different levels. I mean, at the national level, at the state level, local level, in politics, in partisan politics, in other ways, just an extraordinary life. But when we started thinking about the late Phyllis Schlafly, she was born in 1924 and she lived until 2016. She saw you know, firsthand up front, World War II. She was a, a, a participant as a, as a woman. She was testing ammo in St. Louis in her teens as part of the war efforts. Then she was involved in the Cold War. And then she saw all the technology changes. And she went through the transition from a sort of non-existent Republican Party or Republican Party of Eisenhower that didn't seem to have much energy to the Republican Party of Goldwater and Reagan and down to Trump. Well, think about this queen, 96 years old. So you were talking about born, I guess that is what year, I'm not good with math, uh, 1916. 1916 is when she was born. She was a young woman in, and was in power in office uh, during the World War II. She, was, uh, she had become, be, become a queen uh, very around, let's see, the, what was it, what, 70 years back from now. Um, so she was um, 26 years old. 26 years old, and so it was like 1946, uh, somewhere around there, 1952. Um, So she was extraordinary. She had an extraordinary life that had this incredible arc, and she sort of witnessed a transition, right? She didn't sort of. She witnessed a transition uh, from 
well, I guess the 19th century down basically to today and to the modern era, the information age, the age of, I don't know, technology, whatever you call it. But what an extraordinary life. Now, she had uh, a family. She had uh, children. Um, her children had children and on and on and on. They've got some, I think she's got some great grandchildren, uh, but she had an extraordinary life. And here's my prediction. Without some really fortuitous break, and I'm not sure what that will be, I don't know how the monarchy survives the modern era. Because if Prince Charles becomes king, which is what's supposed to happen, he he is just a he is just a um a far too easy to caricature figure, meaning he will not have the gravitas to sustain the notion of a monarchy. It just you're gonna have to win the argument about the monarchy again and again. And you know, that's where uh the question of the uh Charles's children and Diana's children comes in. You know, what what is the what is the future of uh the of the monarchy if you can talk about uh uh the 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 offspring of the queen and not have to and can sort of skip over goofy Charles. I mean Charles, his global warming stuff is silly. His the way he handled his um, uh, the way he handled his marriage, um, the the question of what happens and how it plays out. It it actually should be more worrying. It it, it should be more worrying because if Charles the third, I think that's what he's called, Charles the third. If he basically messes it up, I think you see the end. I think you'll see the end of the monarchy. I don't think that King Charles III is going to be able to sustain things, and I think it won't work very well at all, not at all. And so I wonder what will happen. I think we'll see. But uh, a sadness, um, And uh, but again, appreciate the life that was led, how extraordinary it is for her life to have been sustained, uh, to have lived such a long life in her monarchy, to be sustained over so many decades. It's really extraordinary. It is an extraordinary um, career and an extraordinary um, set of uh, of um, achievements or, or or lived experiences that will be something to behold. I uh, will talk at the end of the program. I'll, I'll touch base on the Bannon situation. I did a TV program on. I was on Bannon's war room yesterday, and also he um, had to uh, turn himself in over yet another persecution prosecution. So I will um, uh, talk about that in a minute. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Hold on. Be right back. Well, welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is Madeline Malisa, and she's a senior fellow over at the Foundation for Government Accountability. VFGA.org is their website. Um, she's focused on election issues uh, and, and um, the integrity of elections. Um, she is an attorney and uh, has also uh, been in uh, uh, private practice as well as uh, in w- working for the governor uh, of Maine, which is important. My listeners know all the time, Madeline, I talk about my time in the governor's office in Missouri. It's, uh, it gives you a huge perspective on uh, how things you know, work and how they uh, come together. And so she has um, a, a we, I got flagged to her because there is a, a, um, uh, a report out of FGA called Ranked Choice Voting, colon, A Disaster in Disguise. As soon as I saw it, I said, I really want to talk about it. And they said, Madeline can come on the show. So first of all, welcome, Madeline, to the program. Uh, thank you for taking the time to be with us. 
Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So set up for our listeners, what is ranked choice voting? We heard about it with Palin. I've described it, but walk us through, like if somebody landed and heard this segment, they would now know what it's about, what what the stated goal of it is, and then what really happens. Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's incredibly confusing and it's by confusing, frankly, by design. So yep. what is ranked choice voting and why is it being pushed now? I think that's the question. So what it is, it's a radical voting system and it's being pushed by the progressive left, frankly, to elect the candidates that they support. Right. Um, because by by changing how Americans vote, they can manipulate who wins elections. So we know American voters, American elections are traditionally and, and almost universally run using one person, one vote system, right? You go in to cast your ballot, you pick a single candidate in each race, and the candidate with the highest number of votes wins. So you could win by one vote or a million votes. It doesn't matter. You are across the finish line with one vote and you win. Now, ranked choice voting, um, it's a completely different system. And I would urge your listeners to actually Google and take a look at the ballot. They can go to our website if they want to see an example. But what it looks like is a series of rankings. So voters, when they go into the booth, they are forced to rank the candidates. And if no candidate actually comes up with a majority, so that 50% plus one, the the race then goes into these multiple rounds of what is often known as, um, it's called instant runoff voting. And it goes through, I mean, it can go through 10, 20 rounds until one of the remaining candidates actually hits the 50% plus one uh, one vote. Threshold, yep. Threshold, yep, yep. But it's kind of a misnomer, frankly, this instant runoff, because it's such a complex process. It can take days and, and sometimes up to weeks um, to figure out who who actually won uh, an election. So ranked choice voting is a disaster. Uh, it is a disaster. And um, in every election that it's been run in, um, it, you know, it, there are it's hugely, hugely pro- problematic. Um, but to answer your question, it's an alternative voting system being pushed by the left. Well, and so and by the way, the FGA dot org is the website. Um, I'll make sure to put up on social media um, because the um, uh, the foundation for a government accountability, this this uh, paper that that is out um, that I think your colleague Gabriel Etzel created. It's about 10 pages, eight, eight or nine pages explains it. So and it's just a few days old. So um, what what is the instinct behind this? I mean, what's the sense? In other words, I started to say earlier, we had a, a, a couple of days ago, a, a guest on talking about Michigan, where they'd put something on the ballot. And I was describing to our listeners that the progressives like 120 years ago went to this direct democracy stuff because they were they were like, hey, if we can get people in, in again in, in mass movements, I talk about this a lot, they, you know, to rush towards something, they may not even know what it means. In, in Missouri, we've got a marijuana initiative on the ballots, 38 pages. Nobody's reading it, right? They're reading a summary and they're being then much Money's being spent to convince you, you know, vote for that because people might get sick and they need medical marijuana. Well, it's much bigger than that. It, it, what's the instinct behind ranked choice voting? Because I did see a, a liberal admit, oh, it gets rid of the the real extremes, which means conservatives, because you you end up with the situation in, in, in Alaska where the conservative, you know, 60 percent of the voters, I think, were Republican in the first round. But by the time it's done, they had this thing where the moderate Republicans kicked to the other one. But who's do what's behind? What's the instinct behind it? Is it a progressive notion that you should be able to, I don't know what, vote twice effectively? How how is it sold? 
Well, that's a great question. Um, it's being sold as let's get to a majority. That's the way that they push it. Um, but but I'll tell you this. It's anything but a majority, because what happens here is ballots actually become and a technical term for it is exhausted. OK, but what that yeah. actually means is the secretary of state throws them in the trash. Um, and, <laughs> and, and and that that's actually literally what happens. So I live in the state of Maine and Maine was the first place, the first state to implement it at a statewide level. Uh-huh. So the first race in 2018, it was the second congressional district, which is our rural part of the state uh, up north. Um, and, and the candidates were Bruce Poliquin and Jerry Golden and Bruce Poliquin came came in under traditional voting. He would have won the race because he had 46 um, over 46 percent of the vote. And Jerry Golden was behind him with 45 percent of the vote. Uh, but then what happens is all of the, the candidates who were second and third place, their candidates were elimin- eliminated. So they, they dropped down to their second and third choices. I see. Um, see. Yeah. So actually what ended up happening was 8,000, over 8,000 ballots were actually, quote unquote, exhausted. The ballots I'm talking about being put in the trash. Um, and so Jared Golden was de- was declared the winner at over 50 percent. But it was only here's the thing. It was only of the remaining ballots. So he never actually got reached I that 50 percent threshold of the total ballots that, that were cast. So I think that's one of the things that people don't understand with ranked choice voting. And like you said, they, they get pitched as, hey, you get more choices. But that's really not the case here because every vote doesn't count under the ranked choice, uh, ch- ranked choice voting system. When and uh, uh, when you um, when we <laughs> we know who are um, what it means sometimes by who pushes it. Uh, are there any conservatives that actually thought this is a good idea? Because it looks like most of the people, by the way, again, we're talking with uh, Madeline Melissa, who is the uh, senior fellow up at the Foundation uh, for uh, Government Accountability and um, the, FG, the FGA.org website. Uh, is, so tell me who's pushing it. I mean, I know you say the left wants it. Uh, uh, do we have uh, sort of willing dupes on the center right that say, oh, yeah, this could really uh, give to something? Is this a political consultant game where, you know, the, the class of people that make lots of money off of elections like it uh, who who are promote who are the players that are promoting it well you know it's a system uh, you know designed by the left to elect the left and it does that incredibly effectively but there are some people i would say and, and you know more on the right side of the aisle who who think oh it's a good idea to get a majority uh and have been duped into the system but look the proof is in uh, what has actually happened in elections that have used ranked choice voting, like I said, here in Maine and and like you referenced in Alaska. So if you look at the statistics from the Alaska's recent election, in the final tally, uh, Palin and uh, the Democrat were separated by 5,219 votes, um, but 11,000 votes were thrown in the trash by round two, hmm. meaning that those individuals okay, had already voted for the other Republican candidates. So right. more than 60 percent uh, of the voters in that race voted for the Republican. And yet the Democrat Democratic candidate won. So if you're on the right side of the aisle, you should take a really hard look at the results in these races like that race, and like the Maine's congressional um, second districts, like I referenced in, in 2018. Um, it, it effectively elects Democratic candidates. That's what it does. I, I'm reminded, it was again, Madeline Melissa is our guest, a senior fellow at the Foundation for Government Accountability, the FGA.org. I'm reminded of back in the early 2000s, I think it was, pretty sure that's around the time, that there was a George Soros-funded uh, effort called the uh, Secretary of State Project, where state secretaries of state were, in, were were being run, candidates were being run and supported by this uh, thing. And my point in telling that story is, 
if you look at what happened in 2020 or any election, you see a lot on the, a lot of people on the left will spend a lot of money to influence what the rules are, not just to cheat. I mean, I don't the cheating happens, too. But when you see like the famous article after 2020's election where the, the Democrats and Mark Elias and others bragged about fortifying the election, using the law to to do to promote choices about drop boxes or uh, or, uh, you know, in this case, ranked choice voting. They do that pretty commonly. And uh, frankly, one of the things when I look at this um, briefing that uh, that you all prepared, uh, Madeline, is that says, hey, you got to ban this. I mean, people have to ban. You have to ban. You have to take a proactive step to say you cannot allow this because it is clearly distorting the will of the people. It's not good. And let me say one more thing. Madeline, why isn't it brought up? You're basically creating three, two or three bites of the corruption apple because you got to go back and count them again. Right. So if I don't win on the first one, I can go win on the second or third one. If you worry about fraud and people should, you're creating a whole set of systems, multiple layers that could be fraudulent. Absolutely. And that is one of the arguments that uh, that we're, we've been talking a lot about at FGA. Listen, ranked choice voting diminishes voter confidence in a time where and, and election security in a time where those are two things that we desperately need. Um, and to your point, states need to ban this. And I think, um, you know, Maine and Alaska's recent election, um, they sh- those should be warning signals that state lawmakers should heed. And lawmakers just last session, both in Florida and Tennessee, uh, um, decided that they were going to ban it at the statewide level. And that's what other states should do. They should enact bans because not only, you know, is it an issue at the statewide level, but it's also been an issue at the municipal level. We've seen it across the country in places like uh, New York, San Francisco, Cambridge, Massachusetts. They've passed local ordinances where they conduct their their local elections with ranked choice voting. So every state is vulnerable without an explicit ban. And frankly, given the results in these elections, uh, I think, you know, it's gaining momentum and state lawmakers really need to take action. Well, it's certainly uh, it, one thing that's helpful is uh, the Palin loss is clarifying for people at least understand it. Because, again, we and I, well, the way you talked about it, so, uh, you know, to simple, simplify it so voters understand and uh, citizens understand the uh, what the reality of it is. It's not, you know, it's not just, oh, yeah, let's try to make it so more people participate and they get to majority. Both those things aren't true, as you pointed out. So, Madeline, uh, Melissa, uh, thank you. Um, VFGA.org, again, for people that want to find out more, this report, uh, the, uh, the Foundation for government accountability uh, has put out it's again it's like nine eight or nine pages very clear very concise very helpful so thank you for the time madeline thanks so much for having me i appreciate it all right we'll take a break everybody and i'll put all that up on uh, social media and uh, especially that report it's very helpful it's got graphics and things that simplify the argument and understanding so we'll take a quick break everybody we'll be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I am excited to uh, welcome back on the program uh, Tony Lyons. Tony Lyons uh, has been on the show before and more importantly, feeds me a lot of good folks for me to talk to. Uh, He is a uh, publisher and uh, has a longstanding relationship uh, with a lot of great authors, whether he's published them or not. Um, He's the president and publisher of Skyhorse Publishing, and uh, he is their website. Let me get it right, Tony, because it's uh, Skyhorse. 
skyhorsepublishing.com, skyhorsepublishing.com. And uh, wow, 10,000 books in print, lots of things. But the one, the, he's published books by Manafort and uh, Woody Allen. Alan Dershowitz is a good one. But the one that I want to ask him about, and we'll have it back on, is uh, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s book, his role um, following up on that, because his book um, was a, was, well, I think they try to silence it everywhere or slow it down, but turns out he looks like he's mostly right. So welcome back, Tony Lyons. How are you, sir? Good. Thanks so much for having me on. So um, let me ask you about that. How do you feel? You published a lot of books. You've watched the um, public affairs, public relations of a book launch. You know, sometimes it succeeds because of this. Sometimes it succeeds because of that. Uh, I tell people the, the one book I wrote with Phyllis Schlafly, she died the day before the book was published. And so we got a ton of press because she died. I, I joked she her last gift was to die so that we got lots of attention. But you've seen the ebb and flow of, of books launching. Robert Kennedy Jr.'s writings, they were a lightning rod, like probably nothing you've ever seen, right? Yeah, I mean, it was a really crazy story because, you know, when the real Anthony Fauci came out, um, right. you know, we, we, we had just an incredible number of, of pre-orders. We were getting inundated with, with, with orders. It was selling everywhere just from word of mouth. But then what, what happened is there was a total media blackout in the week of publication, which meant that, you know, no TV show in the country covered it. No, right. no newspaper covered it. Uh, you know, there were no reviews anywhere. There was censorship on sales reporting. So, you know, it, it, it didn't make all these bestseller lists or it was knocked down on bestseller lists. So, for example, the New York Times bestseller list, um, it sold more than 20,000 copies, you know, um, more in that week than any other book in America. And it was listed as number seven. So so people should, just as a side note, they should recognize that the New York Times bestseller list is just a recommended reading list. I mean, they (laughs) they just take books that they like and they put them on the top. So, you know, one example of, of that is their own book, which is called the 1619 Project. Yeah. That they, um, they funded all, all the research. It was put together by one of their staff writers, and it was number one on their bestseller list week after week last fall, um, way in front of the real Anthony Fauci, even though in some of those weeks, the real Anthony Fauci sold twice as many copies, but they just kept it there. They just didn't didn't care. So what happened with this book is there's this incredible blackout. Uh, bookstores are refusing to carry it, even to take orders for it. Libraries won't carry it. But the book still went on to sell a million copies. So million. Wow. A million copies. So so you think about that, that just everything possible was done. So right. all of the big tech platforms took all of Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s content off. Even, you know, interviews on podcasts about the book were taken off all the big tech platforms. You couldn't advertise for it anywhere. You couldn't even advertise for it on Amazon. And they played around with the algorithms so that the book was never recommended to you. So, you know, there's never been a book where a book has sold a million copies, but it's never recommended to you on Amazon. So you could buy any other Robert F. Kennedy Jr. book. You could buy any other similar book by any author. 
but it would never recommend the real Anthony Fauci because they had clearly been told that you have to play with the algorithms and make it less likely that people will find it. So, you know, there there's the overt kind of censorship and then there are all these subtle forms and there there are a lot of them. Um uh- but. Yeah, we're talking we're, we're talking with uh, uh, Tony Lyons and 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 Skyhorse Publishing, uh, skyhorsepublishing.com. Lots of books um, to talk about. Lots of. But for one second, back to the real Anthony Fauci. And, and let me say the book is called the full title is The Real Anthony Fauci, Bill Gates, Big Pharma and the Global War on Democracy and Public Health. And I think I've told you, Tony, I think I had you or maybe I saw the story, the story about the book and I got it as a book on tape, uh, you know, audible because I drive a lot and I it's it's unbelievable. It's actually stunning to, to and so many things have come out uh, my friend adam angievsky who's at openthebooks.com a transparency portal he got a bunch of the details on fauci stuff that um robert kennedy was alluding to we got more specifics on it so but b- before we get to the i want to get to the fauci book for a second because i want to talk about fauci's retirement but i want to pause tony you've been doing this you have tens of thousands of books you've been doing this for a long time um is it getting worse and what i mean by that is it used to be if you wrote a good book and it was interesting you could count on people buying it now it feels like you have to get a good book and you have to publish it for your tribe only like fauci's book by kennedy should have gotten and and it did eventually i mean but it should have been able to get to lots and lots of people on all sides and it got shut down and i bet you there's a million people that didn't get to read it because they were told it's junk by all the sources what's happening in in the in the in the publishing field i mean how does it how does it work now well there's this concept of misinformation which is is a really scary concept and it's it's right out of 1984 i mean it's a george orwell concept that the public needs to be protected from misinformation but there's no definition of what that is right there's this (laughs) there's this surgeon general uh uh piece that they put out it's a 20-page periodical on confronting uh and combating misinformation, but it has no definition of what that is. It, it just has all of these different processes, and all of them are just censorship. They're just every kind of censorship you can think of, and they get to decide what the truth is, and they don't have to explain it to you. So they they think, and, and the word confusion is used multiple times doing this, uh, you know, during this uh, periodical. So what they're trying to do and, and what they say they're trying to do is stifle out sort of any confusion that the public might have. So they're just going to tell us what the truth is. So it becomes just about power. So if it's the Surgeon General and the Surgeon General has a certain point of view, that that point of view becomes the law and and it becomes against the law, basically, for any big tech platform or newspapers or anybody to go against them. And that's but Tony, but, to, but, but Tony, one second, pausing to put a finer point on it. When the president of the United States, Joe Biden, says that a, a monstrous segment of the, you know, a huge segment of the population, tens of millions of people that hold, 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 hold the MAGA positions, when he calls them a clear and present danger, people don't realize that were those words are not Tom Clancy's from his the Hunt for Red October series. 
that's a term that's meant to be used when there is a clear and present danger. You are allowed to, in fact, one might say, obligated to limit First Amendment rights, free speech rights. It's a, the president of the United States stood up there and said, you shouldn't, Tony Lyons, publish books because these people are clear and present danger. Not we don't like them. They're distasteful. They're disreputable. No, they're a clear and present danger. They've changed it from just we don't like you to you're unacceptable under the law. Well, basically what they're saying now is that any ideas that they disagree with are sort of like terrorism. Right. Yeah. that, That it's it's not that it's just a different idea or a different narrative. And, you know, that's so fundamentally un-American that what we all want is that if you disagree with something, you make a better argument. And if you can make a better argument and convince people, then you don't need censorship. Censorship right. is is just using a club, basically. You know, it's yeah. it's it's fascism because basically you're saying and, and it's and it's anti-democratic, too, because what you're saying is that people are too stupid. People right. are too used to hear two sides of an argument that we don't want debate and that even allowing somebody to disagree is sort of a form of tacit agreement with them. And that's a ridiculous concept. I mean, that's something that, you know, millions of people came to this country to escape all around the world. Yeah. Uh, Tony Lyons, again, is our guest. And uh, Tony is uh, the founder and the the head of Skyhorse Publishing, skyhorsepublishing.com. And uh, in particular, we're talking about uh, uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr., Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s book, The Real Anthony Fauci. So for a minute, some vindication in a way, Tony, a lot of the assertions that people... Uh, excuse me, that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. said in his book, um, you know, as Fauci has announced his retirement, it feels like, well, it feels like one of two things. One is he doesn't want to have the continued sustained scrutiny because there's something there or <laughs> there's just something there. I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I think he's had enough. Uh, how do you feel about it? I mean, is it sort of to you? Is it um, too little too late? Is it uh, a sense of, well, you know, nice, but it's, um, you know, the damage has been done. How do you how do you feel you as a as a publisher, as a reader, as a as an American, it seems to me that he's trying to sort of escape liability, and that one of the yeah. ways that he might be doing that is that you know the allegations in this book convinced millions of people that he was guilty of serious wrong wrongdoing, but he was able to stop the book from really going viral. So you know what what I've seen with 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 books with videos in the past is that there's a sort of trajectory where something goes from 1,000 to 10,000 to 100,000 to a million. But when you get up to something like a million, it can very, very quickly become the entire population that's that's read it, you know, 300 million people. It doesn't go from a million to a million 100,000 because a million people are putting it on their Facebook pages or on Instagram or all these places. So all of that sort of explosion was prevented. So so I think people are are misled by the million that these were really convincing, serious arguments that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. made. And Dr. Fauci was able to kind of keep his job for about a year. But now I think he's afraid that Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s new book, which is called The Wuhan Cover Up and is coming out in November, that the combination is going to be too much to, to keep down. 
and that if you add to that the likelihood of you know a, a big change in Congress, uh, he's really likely to get indicted for the crimes that are kind of laid out in these two books, and they're laid out in such such a way that they can become the indictment. So, um, so if he quits and becomes a private citizen, I think that he believes he can take the Fifth Amendment, which he can't take as a public official. Hmm. That's um, that's an interesting. That's interesting, Tony. We're talking again with Tony Lyons. Uh, that last part, especially, I think, no matter what, you have to expect that there's going to be some oversight hearings. Hopefully, some appropriation hearings. Uh, looking into, and as you point out, he he can get himself out of the uh, out of the box he's in. Where you're right, he would have to. That's I, I hadn't thought it through. Uh, well, listen, Tony Lyons. I appreciate first of all the uh, the support of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. that you gave him because he, as a publisher, you still got to try to run a business, and so you. You know, you're, you're you're taking some risks with uh, in this environment with certain offers. Let me ask you that, Tony. Do you do you feel you've been in a long time and you've been successful enough? You probably have some insulation. But do you feel like they've tried to cancel your business? Have they tried to make it difficult for you to, you know, get get uh, printing done, get distribution, those kinds of things? Yeah, there's definitely been a been a lot of different levels on which, you know, people have tried to punish me for publishing these kinds of books. But, you know, when people ask me whether I'm afraid of, of continuing to publish these kinds of books, you know, I would say that, you know, as an American, I, I think any American ought to be more afraid to sort of not combat the things that are happening in this country now, that, yeah. that we all have to fight against it, and that publishing these kinds of books, even if there are consequences, you know, is certainly worth it. And I will keep on doing it you know, till I'm a hundred years old, if I live that long. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, so, so that's the point for me is, is that it's more scary not to have these ideas get out there. It's mm-hmm. more scary to live in a fascist country where what you can read and what you can do with your own body is sort of controlled by the government. Yeah. Well, uh, that's well said. Well said. And uh, I think um, um, skyhorsepublishing.com is the website. And, uh, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has got a new book coming out on on uh, the Wuhan virus. We'll, we'll cover that, too. Uh, thanks very much, Tony. Tony Lyons, thank you for your time. Great. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. And I'll put up on social media my previous interview with Tony also. And uh, a lot of there there. We'll uh, be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, grassroots activist, author of 27 books, and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. If you were to ask most Republicans whether they get the conservative perspective on news, they'd probably say something like, sure, I watch Fox News every morning. However, true conservatives should not be fooled into thinking that Fox represents the mainstream values of our conservative movement. Just like the radical left, Fox is willing to not only throw out traditional values, but even to throw out science in pursuit of a politically correct narrative. A perfect example of this is a panel discussion on Kennedy Montgomery's Fox Business Show, in which American Majority CEO Ned Ryan was attacked by the host and both other panelists for pointing out the undeniable statistical link between licentious homosexual activity and the transmission of the monkeypox virus. 
Without a trace of personal animus in his voice, Ryan simply stated, quote, As for monkeypox, I think there's a pretty good rule in life. Don't attend gay orgies. End quote. He then went on to cite recent statistical data from the New England Journal of Medicine showing that 99% of all monkeypox transmissions occur from male-to-male sexual contact. If Fox News were truly the fair and balanced haven that conservatives are looking for, host Kennedy would have agreed with Ryan's bulletproof evidence. Instead, she and the rest of the panelists attacked Ryan as a bigot for pointing out the obvious. When did it become bigoted to cite the New England Journal of Medicine? Real conservatives need to point out the consistency of our beliefs and contrast this with the utter hypocrisy of the Fox News leftists. For two years, our children suffered isolation and educational deficiency because it was not considered safe for them to go to school and risk contracting a sickness that posed almost no risk to them. Now that a truly dangerous disease has started to spread, uninhibited gay sex has become sacrosanct. Well, I stand with the majority of conservatives who agree that kids should go to school and abstinence outside of marriage is the only way to practice safe sex. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The traditional family is the building block of our communities and country. That's why it's imperative to support strong marriages, respect fathers, and champion stay-at-home moms. At phyllisschlafly.com, we oppose the liberal attempt to redefine the family. To join us, visit phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, just got a couple minutes to wrap things up. Let me say this. Um, we're having some interesting times, aren't we? Um, I get a lot of emails from listeners and others. They send me the uh, information they're seeing. And I received an email. I, actually, um, let me take it back. It was a text. And the text came in from someone in Colorado. And uh, she reported that the Daily Sentinel... The, a newspaper in Grand Junction, Colorado, carried the following story. The headline is ballot machine cyber advisory doesn't impact Colorado election officials said went on to describe uh, in some detail the national advisory that I mentioned to you from the United States Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, it's called. And basically what this advisory said is that there is a, one of the leading vendors in at least 16 states has software vulnerabilities that leave them susceptible for hacking. Now, the uh, key thing here is that uh, the um, Mesa County, the county that's reporting on this in Colorado, said we use a different kind of machine. We don't use the Dominion machine that has been implicated in this report. So we're not the ones that are being at the focus of this report. Now, my retort is... Is there any real system, any system at all, computer system that is completely invulnerable? It seems to me the nature of the systems are such that they are going to be vulnerable, right? And why aren't we having a conversation about how we're securing them? Why isn't that first and foremost? Again, forget going backwards. We can't go back to all the different play times and places where there's been election problems. Can't go back to 2000 and make Al Gore president. Can't go back to 2016 and make uh, Jill uh, Green, what's Green Party? Jill Stein president. Can't go back to 2020 and bring Trump back. Not going to happen. But why haven't we been serious about the problems that we're facing and what to do about them? We haven't been. We're not serious. That's the threat to our republic. 
All right, more on this to follow. Thank you to Noah Dingley, our great producer, uh, Joanna Spilger, associate producer. Thank you for listening. Be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.